as we're making our way into this section, this is the point in time where a bit of a shift occurs for the disciples. And, and maybe you've had this experience in your life too, where you were training for maybe a new job. And I remember when I first came out of college and I went to Cincinnati to train to be in field advertising for Procter & Gamble. And each day we'd be you know, in the classroom there at the, at the towers in Cincinnati for Procter and & Gamble. And, and it, was, it was an exciting day. You were learning. Everything was fresh and new and filled with promise. There was also you know, challenges that were, in, in a sense, given to you as expectations. But the whole time, there's something really cool about feeling like you're getting equipped. And, and so we were as this kind of class of 86 uh, was, was getting ready to be deployed. And, and I remember we were each given a Woody station wagon at the end of our training. And at that, at that moment when we got our Woody station wagon, we actually had a map with all of these different places all over the board of where it was you were going to go. And, you know, some went to Hawaii, some went to L.A., some went to Chicago, all over the place. And I actually got the spot where I wanted to go to. And for me, interestingly, was Virginia Beach. And so I got in the car and I drove the 12 hours from there and landed in Virginia Beach and started to do kind of on-the-ground work to prepare for the great Crisco race car promotion for, for Procter & Gamble uh, back in the day. But I do remember, too, the huge difference there was from being gathered together with all of my compatriots and having the trainers walking us through and having the joy at the end of the day of, you know, just kind of kibitzing. Uh, I'm sorry, that's a Yiddishism. Uh, just, just, you know, just, just, just kind of, you know... Um, Rapping, rapping afterwards with one another about about the training day and, and how it all went and how bonding that was. But then we were sent out with just you and your Woody station wagon, and and off you. I love that Woody station wagon, by the way. But so, so and then off you go to drive, and then you're out there feeling like you're out there on the frontier. You're you're no longer kind of attached by the umbilical cord back to the mothership in Cincinnati, and it's time to go and do what it was that you were trained to do. And this is this transition now for the disciples. They've sat at Jesus' feet. They've marveled at his words. They've, I mean, look, look at the stuff they've watched him do. I mean, he beat down demons. He crushed demoniac. He silenced the raging waters with just a, a, a word from his mouth. They must have been at every other turn like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And just unbelievable. I mean, fearful that such power was in their presence. But nonetheless, at the same time, incredibly secure, too, knowing that, wow, we're bonded together and we're bonded together in Christ. And now comes a day where, where Jesus is about to kind of give a little kick out of the nest for, for all 12 of them. And all 12 are then to go in all different areas and go and put into practice what you've learned. Because we're not meant to live life in the huddle. We're meant to live life in the game. And so it was for the disciples. And let's see this part as we uh, see this transition for the disciples. Verse 1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. 
Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And if people don't welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out, went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on. And he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. John the Baptist, that is. Others that Elijah had appeared. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this? I hear such things about. And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So, here it is. The first of many, many missions that these twelve men will engage. Later, after Jesus is risen, and he gives them the great charge, go and make disciples of all nations. They, in fact, do exactly that. These twelve, after the ascension of Christ... After Pentecost, after receiving the Holy Spirit, after being empowered, they sat down according to church historical documents and, in a sense, cast dice over a map. And where the lot fell, off they went. Matthew over to Alexandria, Egypt. Luke over to Greece. Thomas up to India and ultimately with forays into China itself. Over and over, they decided that they would put into practice and that they would live their lives no longer in the huddle. And, and how I'm sure they wished to do that. How I'm sure they felt secure in that upper room, just the 12 of them, hanging together with the other, well, it had been to 120 at that point, with the others that had gathered. But they recognized, we're not here for this purpose. That's not why Jesus has left us and he has gone ahead. It's not why Jesus is establishing the church. He's not established the church for this purpose of just being together in fellowship. If our, if our purpose as church were to have fellowship, then Jesus would translate us into heaven. Because in heaven, fellowship is going to be so much sweeter at the great banquet. With Abraham and all the prophets all gathered together as Luke 16 describes. So our purpose is not to have great fellowship, although it is a great activity that we're able to enjoy as we live in Christ. And interestingly, the reason that the church is still on earth is not to worship God. Because for certain, if God were to translate us into heaven, we would do a whole lot better job worshiping with the cherubim and seraphim, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, as our background track as we come together, as Revelation 1, Revelation 6 makes super clear, we would blow away what it would be to worship. Our purpose isn't even just simply to love God while we're here, because in heaven, we will know the perfection of love. And it is one of the promises that we have of heading to heaven, is that that will be made completely perfect in us. No, the, the reason that we're still here as a church, the one thing that we can do here that we can't do in heaven, 
is that we can go and make disciples. And that is our great purpose. And, and, and I love that in this passage how even Herod starts to take note that, whoa, what is going on in my region? Who is this guy? And I love that he says, who is this guy? But yet it wasn't Jesus who was going around at this moment. It was disciples of Jesus that were going around at this moment. And we're meant to, as disciples of Jesus, to be such representatives of Jesus as to be, as he calls us, the very body of Christ. And when you think of the body of Christ, or just think of Christ in the scriptures, you don't think of Jesus just kind of huddled in and hunkered down. It's, it's not as though chapter after chapter shows some sort of an introspective Jesus time and time again. Nor do you see that when you see the biblical data on what is the body of Christ. The body of Christ all throughout the book of Acts is not a body that is simply inward facing but rather recognizing we have a short time and a whole lot to do and we've been given the greatest, most significant of all purposes that anyone could ever have. You know, as, as I was heading into my later 20s and starting to try to figure out what is my life all about, I would write mission statement and vision statements and 10-year plans and 5-year plans. I, did, I was into all of that, like way, way too much for sure. But I was still left wanting... What is really my reason for being? Or since we have someone from Abidjan here today, my raison d'etre. What, what was my, my, my reason for being? And the significance of my life. And it, it, kept, it kept just kind of falling short the more that I would try to manufacture it with some fine-sounding mission statement of my life. And it was before the end of that very year where I was wrestling with that where I no longer had to wonder what was the significance of my life. And the beautiful part about it was, it was no longer about my personal significance, but in the process, I was able to be, in a sense, obliterated from my ridiculous, ridiculous self-focus and to recognize that through self-denial, I have this opportunity to know the grandeur and to be set free from the chains that limited me in what my life was going to be by being able to see my purpose in Christ. Jesus starts to give us a very peek at this thing in this passage of, of who it is, what it is that you were always meant to be. You were reborn to an incredibly significant destiny and as over-the-top astounding as this is, we all feel the same way, no matter how mature we are, no matter how young we are as disciples in Christ. And what is it that we feel? I'm not equipped. Uh, there's no way that I'm the one who's meant to make this great of a difference in the world. And, and I love this passage because in it, Jesus says, take nothing for the journey. He purposefully sets themselves up to be completely ill-equipped from a self-reliant standpoint to be able to be effective and to recognize the only chance that you've got is to be able to trust and trust completely in Jesus as you get after this greatest of all significances of a human experience on earth. And as we, as we look at this, I've got... Let's see if these things are moving. I've got two points today. The first is... 
drop the utility belts. Because in a sense, that's kind of what Jesus is telling them. You know what? No belts, no sandals. No, he didn't say it in this passage, but in the other. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bread, no bag, no money, no extra shirt. And matter of fact, wherever you go, you're, you're just going to trust in the hospitality of others that I will set up for you. This is an expedition of trust in Jesus from first to last. And it's not time for us to in any way have the I'm Batman mentality as we go about this great task of our Christianity. Because that that meme, I'm Batman, is all about self-reliance. All about, I don't need any kind of bestowed powers upon me. If I have enough working capital and a good enough research lab, well then you know what? I think I could be Batman. I mean, that's the mentality of the I'm Batman idea there. And think about it. You know, how was it that... Cornelius, you became a Christian. I mean, if he answers, I'm Batman. Well, we, that's not why you became a Christian. God have mercy on your bankrupt soul. That's how you became a Christian. Just as, as Carol has shared, just as any of us could be able to jump up and share, none of us pulled ourselves up by our own utility belt to be able to have this life that we have in Christ. And the, the fact that we have been so powerfully transformed into a vessel for use by the king of the universe is, is all because at some point in time, we did drop our utility belts, all of our self-reliances, all that we thought we could trust in, we've had to lay aside and trust completely in Christ. And now, is it any different when Christ now makes it firm for us the significance of the life that we live for the rest of our days while we're here on this earth. The, the rest of our days is all going to be about being not Batman, but Christians. Relying. And by the way, Batman's getting a bit old anyway. Two weeks ago, he, he celebrated his um, 75th birthday. Right? I, I know there's at least one of us here who would, who would know that. <laughs> Brian Sorrell. Uh, but, but you know, if you're Batman, and if that's the way that you're going to go about your Christianity, that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to be more effective because I'm going to have just the right invitations. I'm going to have just the right introductory words. I'm going to have just the right uh, inv- invitation to a, a, a compelling activity that people can go to. I'm going to have just the right... Uh, equipment to, to be able to, to help me to really help people know Jesus Christ. If, if it comes from that, then you know what? Batman doesn't look so good the older that he gets. As a matter of fact, here's the top 10 signs that you know that Batman is turning 75. Number 10, the bat cycle has been replaced with the bat walker. Number 9, the, na- the Joker simply sends Batman's emails posing as a wealthy Nigerian banker. Number eight, the dark night has to be in before dark. Number seven, the Catwoman has turned into 
That crazy cat lady. (laughs) Number six, Batman now wears an orthopedic utility belt. (laughs) Number four, Batman has moved into the stately Wayne Assisted Living Center. Number three, the Riddler can't remember answers to his own brain teasers. Number two, the bat signal is now activated by the life alert, I've fallen and I can't get up pendant. And number one, the bat pole is now an Ameriglide stair lift chair. Anytime that we go about supernatural activity on our own strength, that's what we're destined to see is that in and of ourselves, we fall apart. We may have some sort of small blip of success based on our own efforts, and don't let that fool you. Stop watches right twice a day. That, yeah, in our own efforts, there, there may be something that we experience that seems to be positive, but there is nothing like the experience of trusting completely in God and to see what happens when it really does operate in that realm. And when, when you can really get to that place where you decide, I'm, I'm going to trust, trust so fully that this really is the call of my life, that this really is the most significant thing that I can do, that this really is so far beyond me I can't even begin to comprehend how far it is beyond me. But if it is somehow something that you think that you ought to be equipped to do in and of your own power, well then you're going to second guess yourself. You're going to stop from really being bold in your proclamation. Think about these 12 guys as they headed out. This, this is the, I mean, they've watched Jesus do it, but now it's time to, class is over, off you go. And they went everywhere and Jesus wasn't with them anymore. But if, if it wasn't for trusting in Jesus... I'm sure that their coming back and telling him all the good news of what it is that God had done would have paled in comparison versus them doing it on their own strength, their own abilities. And what if you sit here feeling like I'm ill-equipped, well then, congratulations. You qualify. You qualify for being used by Jesus Christ to change the world itself. And sure, do we spend time trying to equip people? Of course we do. I mean, we, we are meant to be able to know the Bible, use the Bible. But nonetheless, the, the more that I have insight into Koine Greek hasn't made me more effective at being able to reach and love my neighbor and have an exuberance of wanting them to be able to know what it is that I know in Jesus Christ. That has not helped me at all. Uh, if anything, I think it was my, my, my youngest days as a disciple where I had the least amount of time, the least amount of insight, where all of a sudden I turned around and there are always people around that were coming to services or coming to Bible studies because it just came out of my youthful ignorance of living my life in Christ. And if, if we start to think, well, i got to make sure I have the invitation with me before I share my faith. Well, then it's like you put your utility belt back on. Or I'm going to wait until we have another rebounders event before I invite this co-worker of mine. Because I think he'll, he'll like that. I'll, I'll wait for the... Again, all of those mentalities that are in some way humanistic or self-reliant are only going to end up in us 
trusting in ourselves and never knowing the unbridled power of allowing Christ to flow through us as we get ourselves out of the way and recognize that we should despair of self-reliance at every turn. But, despite the fact that you may feel ill-equipped, you've got what it takes. And I, and I love this about this passage, because when Jesus calls them, what does he say to them? I give you, I'm giving them power and authority. You've been given power and authority by Jesus. You come in the name of the King Jesus Christ. You don't arrive on your own steam. You arrive based on the very will of the God who created the universe. You're in alignment with that will. And that's like kind of blow away idea. And, and likewise, as these 12 went out, they're the first wave of anyone having experienced this. They go out probably stumbling over themselves, only to come back to share amazing news. And they make such a difference in their stumbling attempts that even Herod, the king of the whole region, is like, whoa, there's some stuff going on in my territory. Who is it? Is this one of the powerful prophets that has somehow risen back from the dead? That's the power that you have. You know what? Make people sit up and take notice. Make sure that the community knows that Jesus is alive and well, and he is coming for everyone. And he's coming for everyone as the body of Christ. You don't do this because, you know, your Bible talk leader is like, come on, we got to get more visitors to Bible. That, that, that's just incidental. That's just kind of reinforcement of the greater grand scheme that, that God has. There is no plan B by Jesus Christ. There's only plan us. And plan us is to go and make disciples of all nations. And it's Jesus' great heart cry to want to be able to see people reconciled to him. And, and with this power, with this authority, the greatest of all authorities, we should, we should never back off. And to recognize, too, as Jesus says that, you know, if there's a rejection there, this is a frightening phrase. Shake the dust off of your cloak, off of your clothes, and move on. Why, why is it? What does that idiom even mean, shake the dust off? Well, what it, what it does mean is, in the Old Testament, you would, you would shake the dust off if you were in a, um, a Gentile area. If you were in a, an area of people not chosen by God, because they were defiled. And you wouldn't even want the defiled dust of their community to enter into the very camp of God itself. And so to, to say to shake the dust off is to say that those who reject the power and authority and the good news of Jesus Christ is, is basically a statement to say they're defiled. That's frightening and, and, and for sure we give our hearts and we do all that we can to help everyone have every single chance as, as God does that they could have everywhere. But there's also a bottom line to this that yes, those who receive the good news... They get to know Jesus and blossom and have the beauty of that life. But for those that reject, they're not rejecting you. You don't make them defiled. They're rejecting Jesus and his blood and his offer for you. 
for any of us that are even here right now, we might be trying to figure this out and we're seeking God. Maybe we're involved in Bible studies and trying to rearrange our lives and surrender to, to in any way dismiss the fullness of this good news renders us at the end, leaves us defiled before a holy God. Jesus is coming back. I don't want anybody to be in that state for sure. And so all the more for every one of us to to recognize, wow, I I want to be able to hear the depth of this good news, to be refined by it, to allow the Holy Spirit to really purge me of, of, of any bits of self and to be made clean before a holy God. That's what we get to be conduits to, is we get to be the first touch, so to speak, of this power that's going to come through the Holy Spirit to make a great transformation in people's lives. And for whatever reason, this is the only plan that Jesus has laid out. He's not going to take over a cable channel. He's, he's not going to um, suddenly kind of intervene in our internet. It, it's not going to happen. There won't be a mailer that has the, you know, the, the secret to life that suddenly arrives at your house. All that will arrive is every one of us if we get the magnitude of how important this is. But I think to to, to recognize that it is plan us and there is no plan B, it it does help me. And it does help me to recognize that without every one of us rising up to be who we were meant to be, rising up to honor the authority that has been given to us by Jesus, is that we would be really squandering all that Jesus would want for us to be. The reason that we're still here, the reason the church is not just kind of taken up, is because God loves everybody out there so dearly and wants them to be able to have a chance. And he wants us to love them, love them to the same degree. And as you get ready to head into the world this week, it's a very straightforward passage and a very powerful passage is for us to remember the significance of who we are. Every every time you cross a threshold, to remind yourself, I come with the power and the authority bestowed upon me by none other than Jesus Christ. You're not walking into that Burger King just to kind of bounce around and, and head on out. You enter into that with the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, the greatest of all kings. Anything that we do, as you head to your workplace, as you take a walk around your neighborhood, as you, as you bump into people that God has arranged for you to be able to bump into, know that you do so with a God that is rooting for you, because He loves those people so dearly, is rooting for you and has already given you all His power and His authority. No, we do have what it takes, but obviously, as this even says, we do to, we do need to use what we've got. As I, I mean, it was painful even to, to to watch the end of that, and I, it's painful because I see myself in that scene repeatedly, and and so collectively, how do we make sure that we better honor not only the sacrifice of Christ, but Christ's trust, trust in you? He deemed you worthy. How do we honor? that trust. And I want to give us one one practical for for this week as we move through this. Before you step over any and every threshold 
whatever that might be, the threshold of your car as you get out, the threshold of your school as you walk in, the threshold of your house as you walk in, or your neighbor's home or your workplace, every and any threshold, remind yourself of this deep truth. I come in the power and authority of Jesus Christ himself. And this is not kind of uh, some, some sort of um, rhetoric to, to puff you up. This is the humble truth of Scripture, of who we really are. You come in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. I think if we all remember that before entering into any place where God has seen fit for us to end up, I think something different will happen to recognize who we are and what it is that we're really meant to do in Jesus' name. Amen.